<laughs> you guys have your Bibles with you. Open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to do chapter 3 and 4 tonight as we take a look and we work our way through the book of Ecclesiastes. Now as we do so, I want to remind you some things, some, some of the groundwork. Ecclesiastes is set up to be seen as uh, basically two, <clears throat> there's two players, if you will, in a monologue. You have a Kohelet, who is the, what, what our, our Bible's called the preacher or teacher, maybe a better word for it is philosopher, because he's going to use a, a lot of Socratic uh, questioning, working his way through, uh, trying to uh, bring us to an understanding of <clears throat> what we have to live for under the sun, separate from God. He's the one doing the monologue, Colette. And then you have a narrator. The narrator did uh, the first 12 verses, 8 or 12 verses, and he's going to do the last 8 or 12 verses as we get to the end. So the narrator is the one that sets the course. Hey, here we go. Colette's going to come out, and he's going to tell you about life under the sun. In other words, the concept is... We're going to focus on life on this world apart from God. There will be a few references to God, but usually those references will be at least a little on the negative side. Uh, We'll talk about them as we go through them. And then when we get to the end, the narrator is going to give us the sum of why life seen or viewed totally under the sun apart from God is meaningless. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That's the point. So the whole thing is meant to be seen as a one giant piece. But I'm not good enough to do 12 chapters at one time. So we're taking bigger bites, but we're we're just reminding us as we work our way through what's going on, what's happening. So let's begin Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We'll read uh, 3 and 4 together so you can hear uh, what Colette is laying out for us in these two chapters. For everything there is a season... And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So what gain has the worker from his toil? For I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, 
so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, and are, <clears throat> all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward, and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, <coughs> and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. So this also is vanity and striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. So better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Again I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toils, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business, for two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. If they fall... One will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. For better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, through in his own kingdom, or though in his own kingdom he had been poor. And I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you this evening, Lord, we, we are seeking, God, your Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. God, as we come to this book laid out for us 
in prose that we might uh, comprehend and understand, Lord, what it is, what is the purpose, what is <coughs> the author of, of Ecclesiastes pointing us to? What does he want us to see? Lord God, I pray that you be glorified in this place because we want to honor you, we want to glorify you, and we want to have eyes that see and ears that hear. So we pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so basically, as we look at Ecclesiastes, we want to remember, we're following a philosopher. And the point of his philosophy is to take from the beginning to the end, what is the point of life apart from God? There is God, the, the, the writer obviously refers to God, but he believes God is distant, he doesn't interact in the affairs of man. Uh, basically, he just sit, sits back and watches us. So what is the point of life under that philosophy? That's his point. He's going to spend 11 chapters dealing with his philosophy. He's going to lay it out. He's going to ask questions. He's going to invite us in. He's not going to provide answers. He's expecting us to come to our own conclusion as we work our way through the book. And one of the things that we'll discover is, last time, if you remember, we lined up <clears throat> some of the philosophies that we see uh, today. We talked about several of those. Um, I toyed with talking about some more tonight. Maybe next time we'll look at them. But the concept is, every philosophy that sets itself apart from God, there is no God, we must save ourselves. Humanism or hedonism that says the chief point of life is pleasure, or, you know, Epicureanism, or whatever other, uh, the Stoicism, all of those basically are substituting the reality of God for a view of the world that under the author here in Ecclesiastes still comes up empty. Why am I doing what I'm doing if there is no God? Why am I chasing all these things if there is no God? We're going to go through 11 chapters, right? You guys with me? 11 chapters of meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Why? Because he's showing us the end result of all philosophy apart from God. All philosophy that, that says, what is life under the sun? That means apart from the heavens. What is it? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? So we want to recognize that apart from God, I just want you to see that there's no basis at all for morality. There's no basis for human value. There's no basis for meaning. So therefore, apart from God, all things are meaningless. If I remove God's word and what God has revealed to us, and I say I'm going to find truth apart from God, then truth is relative. Why is truth relative? Because I have mine and you have yours. And who's to say you're wrong and I'm right? We have no ultimate authority to which we point. Do you understand? Our ultimate authority becomes us. Becomes society. If society is the ultimate authority for what's right or wrong, what, what things have happened in history that have been horrific because society said, this is okay? No, it wasn't all that long ago, right, where six million Jews were killed because all Jews are bad. And that entire society said, this is right. And there was a part of the world that said, no, that's not right, that's wrong. And the other part says, by what, by what measure, what right do you have to call this wrong? 
Well, because we say so. You see, once God is out of the equation, once there's not a higher power to point to, not, once there's not a higher level of morality, once there is no judgment, once there is none of those things, then we have to save ourselves. And we've lost our true north. So now true north becomes whatever the guy with the most might says it is. Right? Isn't history full of that? Uh, Isn't that what Stalin did? He he just killed his own people. So we, (coughs) we look at and we see that this is what philosophy that takes God out of the equation and says... There is no God, we must save ourselves. This is the natural course. That's what Ecclesiastes is all about. We just went through Proverbs, which told us there's two roads, right? The way of the fool, who says there is no God that leads to destruction, and the way of the wise, who follows wisdom, right? And that path leads to life, just like Jesus said. But the struggle of the philosopher in Ecclesiastes is going to be, man, I'm trying to apply wisdom, but I'm going to die just like the other guy. And since there is no view of afterlife, we're going to talk about that tonight as we look at it, then that's the end. If death is just the end, and this is all there is, then why did I choose wisdom? What was different from me and the fool? That's the struggle of a philosophy that has removed the wisdom of God and now substitutes itself for that wisdom. This is what Coalette is doing. Remember last time we talked about... In your Bibles, it'll say the preacher or the teacher. The word is koaleth. They don't know how to define it. They, they know it's like a herald, someone who's speaking. So they translate it as preacher. That's, that makes sense to them. But he's not really preaching like we understand preaching. It's more like a philosopher going through his philosophy. So let's look at it. The first eight verses ought to sound familiar, right? Most of us might be able to sing them. There's a song. Yeah? To everything, turn, turn, turn. You guys know? Okay. So for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Now when we read these first eight verses, and just like the song, we think, oh, this is so beautiful. And it is beautiful, but what you want to understand that the author is saying is all of time is in God's hands and He controls it all. Which one of you chose when you were going to be born? And the same way with when you're going to die. The concept is, there is a time, but these times are times that are outside of of our control. If I say, it's a time to dance, and I start dancing, I'm on footloose now. And I'm going to quote from Ecclesiastes and say, there is a time to dance. How can I make sure that the time I danced was in fact the time to dance? You guys get what I'm saying? Is it just because I say so? Yeah, there is a time, but who's the master of time? The concept is that God is, is the master of time. That He is, the, is Father time. He's the one that holds it all together. So as we look at it, there's a time for everything. A time to be born, a time to die. <coughs> a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted or harvest. A time to kill, and a time to heal. You'll notice as we go through... The structure, they're all basically opposites, right? You kind of, right? To kill, to heal. 
One's to take life, one's to give life or save life. Uh, one to be born, one to die, right? To plant or to pluck up, to, to harvest. So the idea, uh, there is a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to re- refrain from embracing. time to seek. A time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What is he saying? Time cycles through good and bad. Remember when we started last time? One of the things that Colette said was, nothing ever really changes Things just keep coming back around, right? The wind blows today, the wind blows tomorrow, and later on the wind's going to blow again. The idea is the same with time. There's a time to be born, and then there's a time to die. There's a cycle within time. Look how time goes. Look at it. See how it goes around. People are born, people die, they kill, they heal. And it just goes on and on and on until time is done. And what progress have we made? Where are we now? Have we gotten better? Have in all our philosophies and in all all our wisdom, have have we come to an answer? Where is history going? History is going to continue to run until the return of the king. Are we getting anywhere? Or is it just endless cycle after endless cycle after endless cycle? Because it looks like, to Colette, we're not making any progress. Why do I say that? Look at verse 9. So what gain has the worker from his toil? So time keeps cycling. What have we gained? Where have we gone? What have we accomplished? What is happening? He says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Life. I look at life and I see that there's this endless spin. And then he says this phrase, He has made everything beautiful in its time. What it's saying is, God has set the appropriate time for everything. There is an appropriate time to be born and an appropriate time to die. And God is the master of it all. But keep in mind, in Coalette's view, God is outside of, of our ability to interact. His philosophy, remember, is life without God. So how do I make life without God function? How do I make it work? Because God's the one who controls time. So, he says, he has also put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, a lot of times people talk about this. Well, this is the concept that, that God has put a God-shaped hole in people's lives, right? That, that can only be filled with Him. And that sounds very nice, but that's not really what He says. Well, just look at it. God put an eternity in their heart. So there is an emptiness, a, a desire to fill that with some kind of knowledge, some kind of understanding. But as men seek after God to understand Him, what, are they, what does He say they come up with? Does man find an answer? He says man doesn't find it. He says he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Isaiah 55, God says this, My ways are what? Everlasting. 
My ways are not your ways. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the distance between my ways and your ways. The idea here of Koaleth is Koaleth is saying, I have a desire to understand why, how these times are set up. How does time flow? What's happening from beginning to end? I have a desire to comprehend all the things that God does, but I can't do it. See, the scripture says, what can really know a man except the spirit that is in a man? Can anybody really truly know you? You probably know yourself better than any other living human being. Right? Probably, what other people know is only what you have revealed. Who can know a man except the spirit of the man? But then God says, I know a man. I know everything about you. I know every crack, crevice, and corner. I know all the whys. Colette is saying, I want to understand all the whys, but I can't. Why? My philosophy is apart from God. If I pull God out of life, out of my worldview, out of my philosophy, I'm left with nothingness, meaninglessness. That's the 11 chapters that we work our way through in Ecclesiastes. And he's going to go through trying to find all these answers. And he's going to say, I can't find them. I have eternity in my heart. I have this desire to to want to know, to comprehend, but I can't know things. No matter how much I try, I'm going to fall short. I'm going to fall short of what I can understand and what I can know. The Bible says that God is incomprehensible. That means God is unknowable. You cannot know Him. How is it that we know God then? What, what had to happen? God had to reveal Himself to us. Right? Would Adam have ever known his Creator if God didn't walk with him in the cool of the evening? Would Abraham have ever known his Creator if God didn't come to him and say, Abraham, go to a place where I will show you? Would Moses have ever known if God didn't meet him on the backside of the desert? The point of the Bible is all the different ways God reveals Himself to us. But if in my mind, if in my philosophy, I say there is no God, there is only life under the sun, then I'm going to be left with emptiness. Why do I do what I do? Who cares? I can do whatever I want. Guys, we're living in the world of Colette right now. We're living in the world of this philosophy right now. Just the other day I was talking to somebody. When I was in high school, all of us had a shotgun in the back window of our truck. In California. That's where I went to school. You say, what? Yeah. Yeah, we used to ride dirt bikes to school because there was not paved roads everywhere. And not one time did we ever think to go out to the truck, pull out the shotgun, and shoot a bunch of people at the school. Why? Because the philosophy, the worldview at the time when I was in high school, had not totally abandoned God yet. But as that philosophy continued, as the design to, to abandon God has gone, then what have we left people with? Emptiness. Why shouldn't I do it? Because I say you shouldn't. Well, that's not going to be good enough for me. 
Why is your truth more important than my truth? Isn't that what we watch on the news? What are the two sides yelling back and forth to each other? Isn't that exactly what they're saying? Neither one can hear the other. Why? Because they're convinced the other is a bunch of idiots. That's philosophy apart from God. That's koalet. That's meaninglessness and vanity and emptiness. And is there another way to describe the world today? The lack of hope? When you teach people that they're just the cause of random occurrences and there's no real reason why they're here and there's no real purpose for what they do and there's no judgment and there's no reason one thing's right or another thing's wrong, then are we shocked at what it is that we reap? For God is not whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. (laughs) What I plant... I'm going to harvest. So what does he say at the end of this, guys? What does he lay out for us? Carpe diem, right? That's his point. If there is no God and there's no purpose under heaven, then just live for today. Right? The small pleasures of today. Okay? This is Coalette's philosophy. Coalette's philosophy. Philosophy without God under the sun. Just take pleasure in the day. Enjoy the little things. Look at verse 14. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. So nothing can be added to it, nor can anything be taken from it. Does that sound familiar? It ought to. It's in Deuteronomy, I think, chapter 4, and it's in Revelation. You know the verse? Don't add anything to the words of this book, or take anything from the words of this book. You can't add to what God has said, and you can't take away from what God has said. God has said it, that's all there is. Doesn't matter what we want to try to do about it. This is what he's saying. God has done it so that people should fear him. Now, he doesn't understand. He's not, he's delivering a philosophy that doesn't have a grasp on a relatable God, a God who wants to relate to him. He has the concept of a God out there somewhere who caused this whole watch to get cranked up and now sits back and watches what's happening. And his estimation is that God does it all so that we will all be afraid of Him. This is not fear in the sense of reverence. It's not what He's talking about. God does all the things He does so that we would fear Him. So that we would be brought to, to terror with Him. And then He says this, That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. What's He talking about? The cycle continues. Right? Does everybody see it? The cycle just plays again. And the cycle plays again. Now, those of us who are a little older, we probably can recognize some of this in our life, can't we? Can't we recognize that that once upon a time, you know, it seemed like uh, life was so slow, and, and all the people who were my parents' age were telling me how fast it was going. And then now I'm their age, and I'm saying, man, it's really going fast. That what has been will be again. The kids that I tell that to, my grandkids, they're thinking, Papa, you're crazy. It's taking forever. And one day they're going to look at their kids and say, man, time is going fast. That's what he's saying. We keep repeating. Things keep repeating. We keep seeing these things come through. So what's the purpose? That which has already been will be again, and God seeks what has been driven away. What is he saying? One thing he's saying that, that we want to still hold on to in verse 14 and 15, 
in it all, he is saying this one thing. God is still in control. Now, his God's not relatable. There's no relationship. There's no, there's no part where, except for this phrase, that God seeks that which has been driven away. Uh, there's, there's no real reaching out or clasping or laying hold of the promises that God has. But the one thing that he keeps coming back to is God's the master of time. God's holding this all together. God's causing all of these things. Now, here's the problem. Most of us are going to find our philosophy coming uh, uh, up against the philosophy of God's sovereignty when we decide we want to be in charge. Anybody ever struggle with that before? Anybody ever struggle with wanting to be in charge? Wanting to be the judge, jury, executioner? God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Right? God says, that's my job, not your job. We find ourselves... In these other schools of philosophy, because we put ourselves in the place of God. And we end up just like Colette. Except rather than there being no God or a distant God, now I'm God. And I'm going to take care of you. Or I'm going to take care of this. Or I'm going to take care of them. Or I'm going to take care of that. But now I've left the true seat of God where God is sovereign. Are you guys tracking with me? Where God's in control? Is God your king? Yes or no? If he's your king, then that means he gets to do what he wants to do. But we are constantly, when we find that turn taking, uh, that God's direction in our life taking a turn we don't like, what do we do? Why, Lord? Why? I go back to the first part. Is he king or not? You're king. If you want it, it's yours. Are we, are we willing to allow God to have that seat of authority in our life? To allow Him to have that place of authority? <sighs> when Kohelet does it, he says, Therefore, everything under the sun is God's fault. Well, that's okay. God's got broad shoulders. He can bear it. But that's where his philosophy is taking him. In verse 16, he looks toward justice. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. We just went through that. There is a time for everything, right? God makes everything beautiful in His own time. So there will be a time when God sets to right all the wrongs that have been done. But then He loses His grip on that idea. Because God is distant, and he says, he says what he lays out for us in the very next verse. So I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them to show them that they themselves are like the beasts. God is showing them there's no difference between us and the beasts. We act fairly beast-like, don't we? There have been a number of times, I, I'm... I was in L.A. I uh, wish I could remember the name of the street. The day Reginald Denny was dragged out of his truck and beat, I was about a block away doing uh, concrete work in uh, downtown L.A. And when the, when the uh, judgment or whatever came through where all the cops got let go for, for beating up Rodney King, anybody remember all that whole deal? When they all got let loose and there was, you know, found not guilty or whatever. 
I t- told all the guys, leave the concrete. We're leaving. And what happened in the next two days? They burned down their houses. They burned down their shops and stores. They tore up their neighborhood. They killed people. Beat people in the street. Man's not beast-like. Sure he is. He doesn't get his way. Well, how's he respond? That's the that is carrying out the philosophy of there is no God. We must save ourselves. What right do you have to tell those guys on the street they can't deliver a beating to a a white man in a truck that white men delivered to a black man in a car? Why is your right more right than their right? If there is no God. See, I can say they're both wrong. I can hold up the word of God and say, I can show you, here's absolute truth. Let's take a look at what it says. But you put this away, you throw this out the window, what authority do you have to say one's right and the other's wrong? What are you left with? Life under the sun. And life under the sun is meaningless. There's no foundation to hold to. There's nothing to cling to. So he says this, So what happens to the children of man happens to beasts. It's the same. As one dies, so dies the other. One of the big problems Colette has is we're all going to die. And since we're all going to die and we just go away, what's the point? Why not be a beast? If this is all there is, why not? What holds me back? Now earlier he said, I know that God is going to judge. There is a time, but... But I don't know how that works, because unless God judges me under the sun, I die and it's over. He doesn't have a view of judgment. He doesn't have a view of afterlife. Just listen to his view of afterlife. They all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. What did he just say? All go to one place. Man goes to the same place, beasts go to... Who's to say one goes up and the other goes down? That's what he says. If I've taken God out of the equation and I put God away, by what authority do you say there's an afterlife? You have nothing to stand on. So he says, if that's that's gone, if we're putting all this away, he wants us to come to the place of despair that says, life apart from God has no meaning. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. Life without God is empty. Life without God is hopeless. Because we, we lose everything that we hold on to. And we know that's true because we watch a world on the news live their life this way. There's nothing after death. Might as well get what you can now. Who are you to tell me my philosophy is wrong? You can't tell me I'm wrong. I'm going to do what makes me happy. Well, what happens in a world where everybody does what makes them happy? Are we all just filled with joy? So far, that's not working out, is it? Not at all. Because man's wicked. He can't sit in the place of justice because of his own wickedness. He says, so I saw that there is nothing better than man to just work and rejoice For that is his lot. For who can bring him, listen to this, to see what will be after him? He's never going to see what's after him anyway. There's nothing after we're gone. 
This is a philosophy apart from God. This is what happens in this philosophy. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. So I'm going to look at the oppressor. And I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Now how many places do we have? Is it hard to find oppression on earth? Do we have to go to a third world country to find oppression? I don't think so. I think we can find it right here. Yeah, it doesn't matter what we say or what we think. Trust me. There are some neighborhoods in the United States of America where there is oppression. Yeah, we do it. Why? Because there's nothing different between us and a third world country. The same people are the same everywhere. People are the same everywhere. I was in Nigeria. I'm trying to leave Nigeria. I can't even get Nigerians to take their money back. They're like, nope, we don't want it. Oh, I, I, I could give it to them. They take that. But there's no cashing it out for U.S. currency again. So we, we came home with like 400,000 Nigerian dollars. Anybody want 400,000 Nigerian dollars? You think, oh, that sounds like so much. Oh, you can buy a cup of coffee with that. <clears throat> Maybe a little more. So the good news is we're going back. So we'll take it with us. But I can't get him to take it. And then I sit, I sit down at this table and these guys all, three guys come around to help me fill out the paperwork. And I fill out all the paperwork and I think, man, look at these guys are cool. I fill out all the paperwork. Why did they help me? They want to get paid. So they look at me and go, hey, we helped you. Yeah, I can see the plane, man. I just want to get on a plane and leave. Don't you want to buy us coffee? Probably. It looks like I probably want to buy you coffee because I actually want to get on that plane. And there's three years in the way between me and there. And I don't care what you think. You are not going to do, you're not going to cause no problems in Nigeria. You're just going to say, yes, sir. What? Here. So I happen to have enough Nigerian dollars. See, God knew they wouldn't take the Nigerian bucks back. So I had enough to get them coffee. And they were cool. And then we went to customs. And the lady that's in customs, isn't that like a vaunted position, customs? Seems like. In my head, I always thought it was. And she wants Greece too. All the way to the plane. And I'm just telling you, I'm not interested in staying in Nigeria for another week. So I'm more than happy to, to show me where the Greece needs to go on the wheels. Here you go. And I'm getting on that plane. Is that different than anywhere else? There's not people in the U.S. want to rip people off? How many of you have been taken advantage of by some kind of advertisement that said, hey, try this, and if you don't like it, just send it back, and we'll give you all your money back. So you try it, but then you find out that your Visa card was charged $400 for a year's supply of whatever this thing is that doesn't do anything, and when you try to turn it back in and get your money back, they say, thanks for the memories. It's just more sophisticated, but it's the same stuff, isn't it? Man's the same everywhere. Everywhere he goes, he does the same kind of thing, guys. Same kind of thing going on. Oppression is everywhere. On the side of the oppressors, there's power. They have power over you. And on the side of the oppressed, there's nobody to comfort them. Nobody cares. When you're being oppressed, everybody wants to be the oppressor, not the oppressee. Well, no. However it goes. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to line up with the oppressed. 
Oh, I'll take his beating for him. Not very often. But everybody wants to be. I want to be on the side where they're delivering the beating. Yeah, that's the side most people want to be on. And I thought to myself, the dead who are already dead are better off than the living who are still alive. That's where that philosophy takes you. Life has no meaning. It's better to be dead. And, but better than both is the one that's never been born. Man, it's better never to be born. Because then you've never seen the evil deeds. You just have never been. It's better never to have been than it is to be. To see the evil that is done by those living under the sun. Is that true? Is it true that there's evil being done under the sun every day? Horrible things we don't want to have to see or consider or think about. Then I saw all the toil. This is what he said to live for. Man should just live for what he, what he does. And that's his lot and be happy there. He says, I saw all the toil and all the skill and work that comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. Keeping up with the Joneses. They had that in the Bible. That's why. Why did they go to work? Because I want more stuff than that guy. I want to be richer than him. I want to be bigger than him. I want to be smarter than him. I want to be faster than him. That's the motivation. So he says, I saw their motivation was envy. And so he said, this is meaningless. If that's your motivation, what's the point? What do you get? He who dies with the most toys is dead. That's where this philosophy is. He who dies with the most toys is dead. I saw that. Toil, it's vanity and striving after the wind. And then he looks at the other side. Well, he says, the fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. So the fool says, I'm not going to work then. And he's lazy and he folds his hand and he becomes his own meal. He's destroying himself. The man working has uh, wrong motivations. It's out of envy that he's working. The guy over here who's not working, wrong motivations. He's destroying himself by not working. He says, better is a handful of quietness than two handfuls of toil and striving after the wind. It's all empty. What do you get when you catch the wind? Nothing. Handful of air. Woohoo! You had that before you chased the wind, by the way. Right? Meaninglessness. Then he looks at the lonely. Look at verse 7. <clears throat> Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no one. Either son or brother. And there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied. Yeah, he wants more and more and more. But he doesn't have anybody to give it to. When he dies, who gets it? I don't know. The state? So why did you spend all your life massing all that wealth when you have nobody to give it to? <clears throat> Keeping up with the Joneses. He never asks, why am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? He says, this is vanity, meaninglessness, and an unhappy business. So the guy who's lonely, he lives his whole life amassing this wealth, has nobody to give it to. What was his purpose? What, 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 what did he accomplish in life? Then in verse 9, he looks at companionship. He says, two is better than one. Because at least they have reward for their toil. If there's two of you, and one of you dies, the other guy gets it. Right? So at least it goes to somebody. For if they fall, one can lift the other up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. Because there's nobody there to pick him up. If two lie down together, they can stay warm. 
But if one lies down by himself, he's cold. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two can withstand him. Now this next part of the verse is always used out of context. So let me give it to you in context. If two is good, three is better. There's nothing in this verse that talks about the Holy Spirit or marriage or being united together with the Lord. Now you can import that if you want. I'm just telling you it's not there. What he's saying is one is not good, so two is. And if two is good, three is even better. So there, there's goodness, there's, there's worthwhileness in companionship. There's worthwhileness when they can be brought together. But then, he's going to take it to, he's going to tell us a little parable. He's going to tell us a little story about companionship. When people are gathered together, right? If one is not good, two is better. If, if you keep carrying it out, if two if two's good and three is better, three is better and four is better than three, you guys get me? Pretty soon you have society. And then he's going to tell us a story about that society. He says, Better was a wise, or better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Is he talking about Solomon? Maybe. The reference is certainly in the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, you can see things that fit Solomon. The further we go, the less of those you're going to see. When Solomon was old, did he become foolish? Certainly it looks like it, doesn't it, when we look at his life. Did he become like a man who couldn't take advice anymore? Couldn't hear from somebody else because he was too busy being too smart? Maybe. It might be a reference. Remember I say Koaleth starts with the example of Solomon, but he's just going to keep adding examples as we go. We're going we're to leave Solomon behind in the next couple of chapters. You won't see any references that go back to him. Uh, and certainly Solomon wasn't... His kingship wasn't taken over by a, a poor youth who was in prison, right? That, that didn't happen. So this is, a, this is a story. It's an illustration, right? He's talking about companionship and being with people. So he says, this poor guy, he went from prison to the throne. Though in his own kingdom he had been born, born poor. So he was a poor kid. Made it all the way to king. The old foolish king is put down. And I saw all the living who move about under the sun, <clears throat> along with that youth who stand up in the king's place. So he said, and I'm looking down the corridors of time. And I see this youth who was wise and poor, who became the ruler of all these people. And all these people followed him wherever he went. He was very popular. In fact, in verse 16, there was no end of all the people of whom he led. Man, everybody loved him. But when he's gone, no one remembers him. That's his point. You have the old foolish king and the poor wise youth who works his way up from nothing to become king. To lead all these people who follow him. Yet, in all that companionship, what was the point of it all? The wise youth is the same as the old fool. Nobody remembers them. They're gone. It's over. Life under the sun is meaningless. It is vanity. 
and striving after the wind. Life under the sun needs to become life under the sun. That's where the philosophy shifts. For now, he's not even, well, he's a third of the way through his argument. We have 66% of his case of meaninglessness in life under the sun to go through. But as we do, keep in mind, keep in mind that the answer to his philosophy is a life under the S-O-N, not a life under the S-U-N. It's life with Christ, not life where we've taken God out of the equation and try to make it on our own. That's the point of Ecclesiastes. We'll see it when we get to chapter 12. Hopefully you guys can bear with me that long. I'll try not to depress you too much. Beyond, beyond necessity anyway. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we just look to you this evening, God. We pray as we, as we look to you, God, as we study your word, as we look. God, we understand that this book is placed in wisdom literature for a reason. Because sometimes God knew that man would think he was so smart he didn't need God anymore. So Ecclesiastes is to show us where that philosophy goes. And so far, as we can see in the, in the 11 chapters that Coalette is going to lay out, what we're going to see is more meaninglessness upon more meaninglessness, upon more vanity, upon more striving after the wind. Until we get to the conclusion that a life serving God is the only real answer to life under the sun. God, help us see, help us understand, help us realize, and help us be affected by the truth, even as your word is laying out this allegory for us, this illustration for us of life apart from you. God, may we recognize and understand the warnings that you're laying out, that we would live life under the S-O-N, submitted to you, for you are our King. We give you praise and glory tonight. As we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen.